there and welcome to True Crime with Charlie G. True Crime Stories for the Investigative Mind. Case 4. The Great Train Robbery. Welcome back. Today's case is one of Britain's biggest crimes, made famous by the sheer scale of the incident. We head back to August 8th, 1963 at around 3am a travelling post office train for Royal Mail on its journey from Glasgow to London stopped at a red light between Leighton Buzzard and Cheddington. A carefully thought out plan was to follow with a name still well known today. At a personnel change in the town of Crewe earlier that day driver Jack Mills boards along the, with the train's fireman David Whitby before the train continues its journey towards London. Little did they know their lives would be changed forever by the end of their shifts. A gang of 15 men were en route to them to rob the train of its valuables, wearing helmets, ski masks, gloves and overalls. It is suggested that gang leader Bruce Reynolds, a known burglar, was the mastermind behind the heist, giving all the members a job that would prove to be vital. At around 1am, the gang set off from Leatherslade Farm near Oakley in Buckinghamshire to meet the train. The day of the job was carefully planned to take place following a bank holiday in Scotland, so it would carry more high-value packet mail than usual, containing a huge amount of money, especially banknotes, as banks sent their money to be deposited. The TPO, or Travelling Post Office, was carrying 128 sacks of HVPs, high-value packets, all noticeable and easily identifiable with red labels attached. A staggering 120 sacks containing 636 HVPs would be stolen during the robbery. Aided by accomplices providing sensitive train schedules and cargo information, the plan was set into action. At their chosen location, a signal light was tampered with. By covering up the signal box's green light with a glove and diverting its power through a hooked-up battery, only a red stopping light was visible to the oncoming Royal Mail train. Following the light's instructions, the train came to a standstill. The train's fireman, David Whitby, disembarked to investigate. He subsequently found that the phone lines had been cut, so no communication could be made with the signalman. On his return to the train, Whitby was confronted and captured by the gang. He was unharmed, but driver Jack Mills was struck in the back of the head. As the train was being boarded, the driver put up a fight before being hit by one of the gang. It is not known for certain who struck Mills, but it is believed to have been one of the hired heavies taken on for the job. As planned, the first two carriages of the train were detached. It was intended for one of the gang members to drive the train from here, but found that he did not know how to control it, having only driven diesel shunters, not large transport diesel trains. An adjustment to the plan was needed for them to carry on successfully. Jack Mills was then forced with a serious head injury to drive the train a further half a mile to Bredego Bridge, 
the location for unloading. As the carriages were being disconnected, the five officers working in the High Valley packet coach heard steam escaping from the connector and saw the third coach was detached. The officers assumed that the connecting coupling had accidentally broken. They attempted to attract attention by pulling the communication cord and then by opening the window and shouting out. All attempts were unsuccessful. No officers were aware there was an attack on the train until one of the coach windows was smashed. One of the officers called out, It's a raid! and an attempt was made to fasten the corridor door and pile bags against it, but this was also unsuccessful. One assailant, brandishing a heavy metal crowbar, entered the coach through the offside centre window. Others then entered through the corridor door, threatening the five officers and making them lie down on the floor at the far end of the carriage. One robber stood guard while others threw bags of the high-value packages out to the other members of the gang who had formed a human chain to load the waiting vehicles. After the bags were loaded, the driver Jack Mills and fireman David Whitby were bundled into the coach with the other five officers. All seven were then ordered not to leave for half an hour, but as soon as things went quiet, two officers left and raised the alarm. There were no police or security on the train, but there were more than 70 male sorting staff on the train. However, they were completely unaware of the events that were unfolding. The Royal Mail did possess a further three trains that were better equipped for safer travel of such high-value cargo, but potentially by design, all three high-security trains were out of action that night. One not fit for purpose was used instead. This fueled speculation that the security trains had been tampered with to make them unusable by someone employed by the post office, making it an inside job. Such was the gravity of the situation, the Postmaster General returned home early from his holiday in Spain to deal with the incident. The gang made their way back to the Leather Slade farm to divide up their haul. To add insult to injury, the gang celebrated their victory, even playing Monopoly with real money they had just stolen. It was here that the great plan would begin to fall apart. The police had been informed and the media had already caught wind of the incident. The gang heard a report on the radio reporting about the police search. Perhaps unluckily, an error was made by the radio station. It stated that the police were searching farms and houses within a 30-mile radius, rather than the actual 30-minute area. This gave the gang a heads-up, but also scared them into feeling the need to leave earlier than planned. This would mean they would spend less time than they would have wanted cleaning and covering their tracks. A plan had been made to destroy any evidence by burning down the farmhouse after they had left, but this was never carried out by the people they had paid to do it. It was result in a wealth of evidence and fingerprints being left behind. The post office's own policing department, the investigation branch, was called into action. 
every available staff member was put on the case. They looked into every single one of the 70 plus post office employees who were working on the train that night. A £260,000 reward was offered as an incentive for detecting the thieves, of which £10,000 was contributed by the post office. Officers from the Buckinghamshire Constabulary were joined by the British Transport Police and detectives from the Metropolitan Police's Flying Squad. There were over 70 people working on the case. A total of 2,000 official reports were documented. The police and investigation branch received many tip-offs in the days after the robbery, one of which was from a worker in Leatherslade named John Maris. Maris first became suspicious of the neighbouring property when he heard that the new occupants of the farm had offered £100 over its asking price, a large amount of money at the time. Unlike with most new homeowners, there was also no work done on the house such as decorating and the windows were all blacked out. On the day of the robbery, vehicles including a lorry had appeared on the yard of the farm. Maris phoned the police but it was not until a further call the next day the police sent a car to investigate the farm. On the arrival of the officers, it became obvious that this location was the robber's hideout. Behind a hedge, a grave-like hole was found with a spade sticking out from it. The hole was filled with, and surrounded by, empty mail bags. More bags were found around the house with a pile in the cellar of wrappings marked National Provincial Bank. This was one of the known banks transporting money at the time of the robbery. This location would become to be known as the One Big Clue. The containment area was made around the farm, which was maintained by 10 constables each shift. A team of fingerprint specialists and photographers were brought in under the command of Detective Superintendent Ray from the Metropolitan Police. They searched the premises, outbuildings and various items found within the, for clues. This would lead to the identification and conviction of the robbery's main offenders. In addition to the investigation, the Buckinghamshire Constabulary provided many support roles such as escorting and transporting prisoners at remand hearings, committal hearings and at their trials. Out of the 2,535 witness statements, 250 people were called to court to testify. The majority of the gang was eventually sentenced to a combined total of over 300 years in prison. The leader of the gang, Bruce Reynolds, was captured after five years on the run. Buster Edwards, who fled to Mexico, was captured after three years in hiding. Ronnie Biggs was convicted and given a 30-year sentence, but escaped from Wandsworth Prison in 1965. In an attempt to change his identity, Biggs had plastic surgery and fled the country. First he travelled to Paris, then Australia and finally Brazil before returning to the UK, where he was re-arrested in 2001 after 32 years as a fugitive. A further 17 people were charged with offences ranging from conspiracy to obstruct justice, harbouring wanted people and receiving stolen property. The impact of this mammoth crime also had a lasting effect on the victims involved. 
notably the driver and train's fireman who were both never truly able to come to terms with it all. The driver, Jack Mills, never fully returned back to work after the incident, passing away just seven years later from leukaemia, age 64. The Mills family insisted that the blow to the head he sustained during the boarding of the train contributed to his ill health and early death. David Whitby, the train's fireman who was only 25 at the time, had problems dealing with the trauma of the event, dying just two years after the death of Jack from a heart attack, aged 34. Such a sad ending to the story, but then it's not usually thought about by the offenders how their victims would be affected by their actions. Their crimes are now known as one of the greatest in British history. This has been True Crimes with Charlie G. Thanks for listening. See you next time.